If you uh, have been here the last couple of weeks, we've, we've called sort of this uh, series of sermons, it's called The Christian Home. It's within the letter of Ephesians because what the author does is address an ancient church and describe to them what the Christian home is to be about. So husbands, wives, children's, bond servants, masters, all of it is covered. So this is really the third week we've spent in this little series of sermons in Ephesians chapter 5. The first week, which was two weeks ago, I gave an overview. I wanted to give us some parameters of, you know, defining terms, like what submission is, what submission is not, what love is, what love is not, um, what the head is, what the head is not. Um, And then last week, uh, a young preacher who's uh, we're helping him get his reps in, preached about how the church submits to Christ. So I hope you're blessed by that uh, because everything we do is essentially an overflow of how we as Christians follow Christ, submit to him, and as a church, come under his authority and his leadership. So this week, lucky you, it's about husbands and wives. And uh, we're not really going to get to the husbands today. I thought in the first service we would, but you guys know me better than I know myself, and we did not. So We were far from getting there. So we're going to focus on what Paul's instructions are, therefore God's instructions are, to Christian wives. I'm going to read for you Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read, starting at verse 22, I'm going to go all the way to 6, verse 9. So this is essentially the same verses we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 31 now, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, each one of you love his wife as himself, and let let the wife see that she respects her husband. Into chapter 6 now. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Well, I'm going to pray because I know we all need it. Amen. God, as we um, attempt to figure out what you have for us this morning, we know that These are all topics um, that cause the heart to feel a bunch of different emotions. Many of us have been abused by um, evil, wicked people justifying it with these verses. 
many of us have grown up in healthy circumstances because of these verses. But as a church, we ask that we would stay laser-focused on the person of Christ and the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And we ask that you would help us come under the authority of your teaching of this Bible. For we know that there is nothing in the heart of man or the mind of man that can draw anyone closer to God, but it is your word empowered by your spirit. So as we continue to learn, may this not just be information, but transformation for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So husbands and wives was my original goal to kind of cover both wives submitting to the head of the home and husbands loving their wives as Christ loves his church. But I threw all half of that out this morning, and we're just going to focus on wives, okay? Not because you're, it doesn't matter. We're just going to focus on wives. And here's what I want to do. I just want to give you sort of a big theme sentence. Um, it's called God's design for marriage is better than yours. That's sort of what I want you to remember and draw back to throughout the sermon and then maybe throughout the week. It seems a little plain and a little normal, but it's an absolutely true statement. Many of us here have um, lived out of the experience of a marriage that we saw or that we experienced in our own homes or the lack of marriage. And so what we do is we marry someone, we stand across from them and commit our lives to them, and we kind of bring all that with us. And what we need to do as husbands and wives is figure out what God desires for us. That's really our goal, like how the home is supposed to work. What's God's plan for men and women to come together in marriage? And these are some, you know, hot topic issues, I guess we can call them. There's a lot of emotions wrapped up in them because if I say the wives submit, there's a lot of things that go through the wives' mind of how that may have been abused in the past um, or even today how their husbands are not honoring that. And so um, a few weeks ago, I gave some definitions of a few of these things. Let me just start off by saying submission is not obedience. It's not the same. If Paul wanted wives to obey, he would have told them just like he told the children and the bondservants, which we're both told to obey. But Paul uses a different word. Paul says, submit. So we do have to understand what that means, right? So right off the bat, let me tell you that it doesn't necessarily mean that wives, you need to obey your husbands. And now husbands are like, darn, that was a good run, you know, like... I had it. But you see, submission, correct submission isn't, you know, getting everything that your husband wants you to go get for him. That's not the idea of submission. Um, If out of love you want to serve your husband in that way, praise God. But getting his chips and doing everything for him isn't necessarily submission, so don't let him talk you into that, okay? That's not submission. Submission is coming, subjecting yourself under the head of who God has placed in your life, your husband, just as we, the church, come under the headship of Jesus Christ. That's the important analogy. That's the important illustration to think of, and Paul actually tells us that. All right, so God's design for marriage is better than yours, and his design is that the woman would come under the headship and leadership of her husband that she's been given. Now, in order for us to rightly understand this, we gotta do some pre-work. We gotta go all the way back to the beginning. We can never remember in the beginning, because in the beginning, God, right? Not in the beginning, John, in the beginning, you. We didn't create this. We didn't think this up. God created everything in the beginning. And after he created all the stuff that we love, nature and mountains and plains and animals and all the trees and all the fruit and all the land, he created mankind. He created men and women in his image on that sixth day. Right? So humans are not accidents. We're not highly evolved apes with opposable thumbs. I think they actually have opposable thumbs. But we're not... You know, we're not just sort of primordial ooze that over a long period of time popped out to be people. That's just not true. 
We are created image bearers of God. We reflect his nature, his character, and that's what we were created for, to worship in that, to reflect who he is. Now, that means we're not accidents, and you are not an accident. We're not to treat people as accidents. It doesn't matter what they look like, smell like, talk like, what foods they eat, where they come from on the planet, rich or poor, it does not matter. Every single person, we should affirm their value and their dignity. Do you understand? Amen? Every single person, right? We don't give people dignity and value. They already have it. We just affirm it. The church's job is to affirm that people are created by God. Now, in the beginning, God created men and women. And there's this beautiful portion of Scripture now in Genesis chapter 2. It's not going to be on the board, but I'm going to read it to you. Now, understanding that God created men and women to work the ground that he created, this is what it also says in chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Okay, so God creates all things. He creates men and women, and then he takes the man, puts him into a garden, gives him a job, gives him a mission to love, steward, and work the ground that God has created. Work is not evil. Your attitude is. It's happened before sin even showed up, okay? So the Lord God took the man. If you're not going to bed tired, something's wrong, guys. The Lord God took the man. If you're tired at church, something's wrong too, okay? The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, so that's God's warning. Steward it all. Have dominion. Don't go over there. Don't eat that. Here's come next. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. All right, so we see that God created Adam was his name, but there's no one there. Just that single person and some birds and some beasts and some things that swim. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper for a fit for him. Amen. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. That's a pretty important job. You know, aardvark, anteater, lion, whatever it was. Adam just gets busy naming every single thing. And what we see is that Adam went through all these beasts and he's like, there's really no one here for me. Men, we should praise God that God did not find a suitable helper in all those beasts. He gave us pretty things, okay? So the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. You're going to name all the animals. And then it says, the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So what did God do? He blessed him with a wife. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that he, the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And then he brought her to the man. And we know this is a great thing. We know Adam's really happy about this because the man sings a song, right? Some of you guys are like, nope, it's a poem. I'm not going to sing it. Adam sang, so should you, okay? Here's what it says. So when you get home, get down on one knee and sing a song to your wife. That's your first instruction from your pastor. Here's what he says. This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She, she, yeah, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam praises God for what he's done. Oh, I'm so thankful because I didn't want to be a part of all that beast stuff. I wanted someone pretty, someone who kind of was like me. That's what God does. He gifts him with a wife. And then he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Here we have the picture of perfect garden, perfect presence. God is with them. 
and you can understand this because, you know, being in front of someone naked is weird and shameful even when you love them. That's just part of our sinful nature. We are uncomfortable with it. But here we see the perfect picture of righteousness, holiness, because they're there. They're both naked, and there's no shame. There's nothing. It's perfect. It's beautiful. But something happens. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of that tree in the garden? He's asking the woman. He's not asking Adam. Adam was given the instruction to not eat that tree. He's deceiving Eve. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Eve is right to say, yes, the tree in the middle, God said hands off. But she actually adds on to what God said. God never said he can't touch it. This is the, the beginning of sort of this deception taking hold in her heart. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. By the way, that's what temptation sounds like. This is okay. It's going to be fine. You shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made them for themselves loincloths. So we do have this perfect marriage. That's how the world starts. They can exist together, no shame, no guilt between one another. Right? It's hard for us to even fathom. But then they rebel against God's word. They actually trust the word of a serpent rather than they trust the word of their creator. That's where all sin begins, is that we trust in the wrong word. So she eats, he eats, and then they realize nothing is the same as it was just a few minutes ago. So God seeks them out, which is a fantastic picture, by the way. God seeks them out. He calls to them, and he says, hey, I'm here. I need to know where you're at. Why are you hiding from me? And they're like, well... We think each other look funny, and we're ashamed, and something's wrong, and we are not what we once were. And so the Lord God, he addresses the serpent and the man and the woman because of this sin, because of this rebellion. And he says, because you have done this, here he's talking to the serpent now, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life, okay? And then he tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So God already says, Satan, crafty serpent, down you go on your belly, and the women, they're going to bear children, and I'm going to put this strife, this animosity, this, this trouble between your offspring and his. And to the woman, he says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Something, some observations important to note that I actually left out. When God says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, that is the first sign of the gospel. That is the first good news that the offspring of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. But in the moment, he would also be hurt. He would be bruised. That's our savior. That's Jesus. He would, he would deliver the final blow to Satan's sin and death when he died on the cross. But in the process, he'd have to suffer. And to the woman, he says, two things, because if you've been deceived, because you rebelled against me. Number one, having kids is going to be a lot more work. I don't know what it was like before, 
but clearly it's a lot more work now. I've been involved in five of them, and yes and amen, there is something very special going on there because I would be dead, okay? Second, he says, your desire, shall be, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. This is really where the battle of the sexes begins. This is it. This isn't like your desire shall be contrary to your husband, like this passionate, your desire is going to be different than mine, but I can't keep my hands off of him because he's so hunky. Like that's not the desire we're talking about. What this means is you will desire to be your husband. You will desire to be the head. You will desire to lead as the way I have called him to lead. But he shall rule over you. Now we take all that and we think, what happens? What happens now? Is this, this is a curse? How do we reverse this curse? How do we live in such a way where the wife doesn't always want to rule over the husband and where the husband actually lovingly rules over his wife? And then we go to Ephesians 5. And so Paul is addressing this church in the ancient city of Ephesus. It was a real place and real space and time. And this was a city that was very large, very prosperous, but also very, very corrupt. And the middle of the city was not a church like this amazing place, right? This beacon of hope and light where everyone wants to flock to. It was not this. It was a goddess, a fake statue named Diana, the goddess of fertility and prosperity. So at one point, we worshiped God as father and creator. Now the world has spun out of control and is worshiping statues as mother, goddess, so we're, worship, we're worshiping nature, not creator. And so you have this little teeny church in this wicked city. And Paul now has to say, look, you've been saved from that temple worship, right? You're coming out of that. You've been open to the truth. You're walking with Christ. You're in presence with God. You're, God the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. This is all great news. Now live differently than you've lived in your homes. Live differently than you have been instructed to live by Diana. God has a completely different design for your marriage. So what God's doing is saying, my design is better than yours. I'm taking you all the way back to the beginning. When Adam and Eve were there with no shame, no guilt, no sin. That's what his instruction is. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to spend time helping wives in this room and husbands in this room understand what it means to come under submission to your own husband because his job is, his, his created orders for him to lead you is to be the head of your family. And wives are there to help him in his mission, okay? So big idea, God's design for marriage is better than yours. And if you're angry when at the end of this, not my words, God's. Take it up with him. I'll have a conversation with you, but don't be mean to me, okay? Because you're my friends and I want you to be mean to me. Um, but this is what God has designed for Christians in the home, all right? Now, let me fast forward to some of my points here. I skipped a lot because the 9 o'clock got totally gypped. Now, no, kind of, all right? So I'm going to encourage wives in three different ways to help them understand submission and then live it out in this world. In order to do that, I would like to help us just get a glimpse of what this world, maybe a lot like Ephesus, how they view marriage, okay? We're all great observers. You guys observe culture around you. You kind of know what people think about marriage, Christian friends, non-Christian friends, we get it, right? So the first thing is, uh, the world that we live in, um, the world has always, apart from the grace of God, does not care to acknowledge men as those who are created and called to be the head of the wife. It just does not care to acknowledge that. 
Um, but the man has been created to be the head of the wife, the protector, the provider, the one who lays down his life for his wife. You know, and the opposite happens usually in our culture that um, apart from the grace of God and the word of God in someone's life, men are actually, they sort of grow up in this Peter Pan mentality, right? They live in Never Never Land, and although they can shave, they're still boys. And they want to remain boys, and that's where they like it because it's fun, and I don't have any responsibility, and I can just kind of float around and do whatever I want. Well, that's not what God has called men to be. That's not at all what God has called men to be. Okay, so uh, men just want to remain boys as long as possible. In today's world, men seem to be, you know, sort of, they, they care about their hobbies or their entertainment or their career far more than they care about the woman God has given them. That's a natural thing to fall into. I'm not sitting in judgment. I certainly have fallen into that trap, and every man has. But let us remember what God has called us to be. We actually are to care far more for our wives than anything else besides the person of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's our calling. Okay, so God gave Adam the ground to work as a mission. That was good. That was healthy. Men need mission. Men need something to do, like all the time, okay? Men need to work with their hands, need to work with their minds, because when you don't have something to do, what happens, men? We know this. Temptation creeps in, our minds wander, and Satan wants to get a foothold, right? So when I tell you, guys, if you are not dog dead tired when you put your head on your pillow, you're doing it wrong. Be tired. It's good. It's not a bad day if you're exhausted. That's a fantastic day, amen? That's our mission, And in fact, if you think about it as a husband, maybe a father, not everyone has to be a father to hear this. Not everybody has to be a husband to hear this, but you need to hear it because you're about to be a husband, most likely. You may have a job that you work all day long. Fantastic. You're going to be tired. But guess what? God's given you two full-time jobs. It's called the home. So you pull into your driveway, and what do you tell yourself? Not, oh, I just kind of need to like escape for two hours before anybody talks to me. Nope. You don't get that luxury. Some of you say, well, I just need to decompress. Right, do that in the car on the way home. Some of you say, I need some time away. Certainly that is true. We need our rest, amen? That can be for another time. But when you pull into the driveway or wherever you are before you enter into your home, you better be telling yourself, now I'm about to start my second full-time job. And let me encourage you, your family gets as much energy as your job. They get as much or more of you than what God has provided you to do as a job. Okay, this is very convicting for us. Remember, I have to preach a sermon to myself before I give it to you, all right? So you're in good company. But men, we have been given a mission to work, and that is a fantastic thing. What often happens, though, is that we give our family, what? Leftovers. Give them the leftovers. We give them the leftovers of our emotions, so we snap, because we're not patient. Our wives want to understand what's going on in our hearts and our minds because they get worried when they don't know what's going on up there, if they can even start to begin to understand what's going on up there. But we don't want to talk because we're tired. So the marriage begins to unravel. There's no communication. So guys, we have been given a mission, and you need to work the mission. You need to work the ground. You need to work hard with your family, right? And in today's world, everything will tell you to not do that, to do what you want, to be free and independent, and just live it up. Well, that's a dangerous word to, to live upon. You know, I was on a plane with a man once. I was sitting behind him. It's a true story. I'm going to tell you a few true stories throughout this. And I was probably mid-20s at the time. It was before God called me to pastor a church, plant a church. And this guy I know was not significantly older, but he was older. I think he was like me today, right? So mid-30s. And he was talking, complaining, addressing, and acting towards his mother 
like I probably once did when I was five. It was that bad. And I'm not standing in judgment against him. I'm just saying that's what men are encouraged to grow up and do, to find a woman who will just be mom, who will do all the things mom did for me. Men, taking a wife is not that. What does Paul say? What does Genesis say? Leave your father and mother. Hold fast to your wife. It's a completely different relationship. All right, so that's husbands. We're told to live in the Peter Pan mode. We're told that's okay. And what happens is the family you've been gifted with, the wife you've been gifted with gets leftovers. Your marriage unravels, falls apart. Let's remember that God's design is better than that. Now, how about wives? This will help us understand the way the wives can submit. Now, I'm going to move on to some very practical ways here, but let us, let us help what wives are told. And the world most certainly is not on board with this word submission. And I know that. I get that. And we've talked about this before because it's been abused. Because evil men want to use it for their gain, and they're wrong. And so they read the Bible, and they say, well, God said this. I'm going to use it too. It's just wrong. It's not healthy. It's demonic. That's why we don't take the Bible out of context. We just want to read what it says and understand. Submission is not obedience. Submission is not shut up and be quiet. Submission is not, I don't like your opinion, so stop sharing it. Submission is not, I'm the man. We're just going to do what I say. That's not submission. That's not submission. Didn't you notice God gave us a helper for a reason? Don't you think we might need the help? And yes, men or women are created equal, right? So the husband doesn't walk in front of the man. The husband doesn't walk behind the man. The husband and wife walk side by side, right? If you and your wife like to sit next to each other on the couch, you know, Sherry's on, at night, she's on the couch, she's doing something. I like to sneak in next to her and get as close as I can, you know? It makes me feel good. And I put my arm around her, right? She's taking from my ribs, so I'm putting her back, right? Just, that's what you want to do. You want to get, you want to, come here, this is where you belong, right? So side by side, because men and women are what? Created equal. But here's the key. They're different. Now, simple biology tells us that, but they are different. God has created them with a different mind, a different emotion process. Everything is different because if God said there's no, there's no helper fit for you, why would he just create the same Adam but prettier? That wouldn't get anybody anywhere. What did he create? He created a woman, something utterly, completely different, and we're still trying to understand her. But God created, they're not getting the jokes at all. God created women. Thank you for laughing. I get nervous and people don't laugh. That's why I don't use humor. Um, it never actually works. But God created us equal. Please remember this. Equal, but different to complement one another. Okay? But today, women are encouraged to say we are the same. Right? The term is called egalitarianism. You can actually put that word all over society. All right? Um, but what it means is the same. That's what it means. It's to approach something with the same mindset. So what the world wants to do is to say men and women are not only not are equal, but they are the same. And there couldn't be, we couldn't be farther from the truth. So when that begins to happen, what happens is statues like the goddess of Diana gets erected. And when you have men worshiping under a feminine deity, I cannot begin to probably describe to you the perversion that would cause in a society. And what you would do at the temple for worship. That's what the Ephesians were living through. So we're equal. We are not the same. And by the way, that is completely okay to say. We are equal. We are not 
the same. Women are encouraged to be independent of any man, regardless if you're married or not. And yes, you are unique, so am I. By the way, everyone here, there's only one of you, you're, right? You're that perfect, beautiful snowflake. That's, right, you were taught as a kid, no snowflake's the same. Amen, you're a snowflake, right? Like, you're so unique, there's only one of you, and God created you that way. That's a good thing. Diversity is fantastic. But we're not created to be independent in that way in our marriage. That's just not the way it's created to be. Even if women get married, they, they are now maybe approaching marriages more of like roommates that like to be around each other. That's not what a marriage is either. Marriage is complementing each other in a relationship. Not only are you told to be the same, the same lie exists that Satan told Eve. Women desire to rule in the place of the man. Their desire is to be contrary for their husband. They actually want to take the place of what God created the man for, which can be very, very dangerous. Every woman in here, and in the first service, so you're not alone, has been guilty of attempting that because that's our default sin nature. And if you're here and you're guilty of it, you're in the right place, amen? That's a good place to be because we're all messed up, so I'm glad you're here. But that's your default sin. When things will probably go along in your marriage, wives, it may be because you're attempting to usurp your husband's authority and put your place Right? Put yourself in that place. That's not what God has created you for. His design is better from yours. It's going to unravel. Now, I know some of you objected and say, well, I have to because he's Peter Pan. Right? I married Peter Pan. I love him and I hate him. Ah, he's, frustra- he's frustrating. We're going to get to that, how to deal with that in just a moment. Because some women absolutely have to carry both things. Some women have to be responsible for everything doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy and it's probably extremely draining but there are men who do not lead and default to the women to lead that's sinful all right here's a true story about a a woman i I, a few stories i want to share with you they're really brief but i want us to get this picture of what popular culture tells women to be okay and it's i think it's wrong and it's not healthy because god does never talks about in this way there is a church in kalamazoo and you can ask me after the service but i'm not going to tell you but there is a church in kalamazoo that if you wanted to rent it rent out their church for a wedding it's a beautiful place um, the father cannot give away the bride that's demeaning that's alive and well in our city you cannot the father cannot give away the bride the bride needs to give herself away right um, another story was i was traveling a long time for work and i do my dad taught me and my mom taught me you know, to open a door for a woman. And I don't do it like out of tradition. I think the Bible tells men to protect and provide and prefer women over themselves, to, to honor them. Opening a door for a woman is not tradition. It's actually honoring them. You should make way for the woman, right? You should honor them and show them preference. And no lie, I open the door because, you know, guys kind of sense when someone's behind them. So you either tailor your walk to hurry up and get there so you don't have to, or you got to slow down because, you know, if you don't, they'll look at you funny because you showed up at the same time. Like, it's this weird, you know, so you're walking into Alden, you're like, I better slow down because if I don't open this door, she's going to look at me funny. That's why I like the automatic ones, you know. So I opened this door, and the woman stopped, and she would not walk through that door because I opened it. She said, oh, no, please, go ahead. She wouldn't come through the door. That's happened to me actually more than one time. And so you see what popular culture does is tell a woman, you don't need that man to open that door for you. You can do it. Right. You can open the door. You're absolutely right. Congratulations. Like, that's not anything significant. We can open doors. But what does God call the men to do? 
is to protect, provide, and honor women. Not because they can't do it themselves, because that's what we're called to do. It's our mission, all right? So what I hope you see today is that God's design for all of that is far better. And his design is for the wives to submit. And that's where we have to spend the rest of our time. And I went a little bit over in the first service. I'm not going to do that today, um, maybe. Okay, here we go. So here's the first thing. There might be a typo on the slide, but that's okay because God forgives and you're my friends. All right? So here's the command. Wives, submit to their own husbands in everything. And I also put, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're only going to talk about that first one. There's not enough time. We're going to spend a few more weeks in this anyway. Guys, you'll get yours. Just buckle up, okay? Wives, submit to their own husbands and everything. And here, I'm going to want to give you three ways that you can practically show this submission, what it's like each and every day, okay? So husbands, encourage your wives in this. Mm, yeah, in a good way, right? Don't use it as a weapon. Wives, try to take this. and You can even do this this afternoon, okay? Now, again, this is not 10, hips, 10 tips to a healthier marriage. This isn't four weeks to the best life now. This is just God's word, I think, practically transforming our everyday life. Okay, so wives, number one, here's how you can submit. Here's how you can come under the headship of your husband the man that God has placed in your life. Number one, acknowledge that your husband has been created and called to be the head and to lead. First is just acknowledging it. It's just knowing what God, how God has created the world. You need to understand that God is creator. He is in the beginning, not you, not me. So his design is far better for everything. So in order to do that, you know, you want, you want to, uh, you don't want to think of this as old school. You don't want to think of this as tradition. This is biblical. This is gospel. This is the Christian community that God has called men to lead, okay? So one of the great dangers you might be willing, uh, you know, to be tempted with is that, um, you know, like the husband doesn't need to lead, that I can defend for myself, that I can do things for myself, that I can walk, you know, in front of him. I can tell him what to do. But what you want to do is acknowledge that God has given that authority. Men, you, you will be held accountable for what God has given you. You're just going to. So you've been given a daughter of God. She's pretty important. She's daughter of the king. His name is Jesus. You're not the king. And you're going to be responsible for what God has given you in your life. So I hope this encourages you to realize, I do need to step into that role. And I need to lead. And I need to, um, I need to show my wife that I, I'm trusted of that leadership. So wives, you need to acknowledge that, okay? So you need to give grace and show mercy when he's not leading. All right, I could say, here's how you acknowledge your husband's leadership, but it's far easier to say, here's what you do when he's not leading, right? It's easier to pick those moments out because that's pretty much what you guys argue over all the time. Unless I'm, my house is crazy, and I don't think we are. Arguments happen when men don't lead. And women want to step into that role. Because guys are all offended all of a sudden because the wives are doing it. And the wives are going, are you nuts? You're not doing it. Right? That's how it works. So what you want to do is you want to give grace, show mercy, and forgive in those moments. Right off the bat, your entire marriage should be a display of what Jesus has done in your life. Right? That's his design. Paul says it later in Ephesians 5. He talks about men and women. Then he says, it's a mystery. Amen. Paul's never married, but it is a mystery. And what does Paul say next? I'm talking about Jesus and the church. So the Christian marriage is to represent how Jesus loves and supports the church and how the church comes under the authority and care of Jesus. That's really important. 
So if the husband is not leading, if you don't feel like he even cares, and if he is Peter Pan, first of all, don't throw condemnation his way. Throw compassion his way and show him forgiveness. Show him mercy. Show him grace. And you can do that by thought, word, or deed, or all three at the same time. It's a very practical thing you can do this afternoon. Next, you know, you can encourage the husband to lead, right? One thing, if you, as you get to know Sherry and myself, that's my wife, uh, she's great, and, but we both really stink at encouragement. We just do. We don't naturally encourage one another in the home, right? We, we're just like get it done people. So we're like, boom, getting it done, moving, 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 moving. And we don't ever stop to say, hey, you just did amazing that, that other day. I'm really thankful for that. Thank you. We're just so bad at that. So if you're good at that, I want to have coffee with you so you can show me how to do it. But what we have committed is to making sure somebody takes the lead on encouragement. Somebody has to be the example. Because let me tell you, life is hard. And when you're married, if you're not having somebody encourage one another, it gets way worse. It gets way worse. So not only can you show grace and forgiveness and submit to your husband in that way when he fails you, you can encourage his leadership. You can say, I appreciate when you do that. You can say, I'm so thankful God has given you to me and all your imperfections, right? You can say, I'm so thankful that God has created you to lead, to set a vision for our home, to set a healthy gospel culture for our family. I thank you for that. And then, of course, you're always involved in it. Pick him up when he fails. Pick him up when he fails. When a man fails, no one is going to know it unless maybe one of his close friends, certainly not you, because he's Mr. Perfect and he's supposed to be because he's the leader. Wives, your husbands are struggling. Every day, just like you. They're not perfect. They have fallen. They will fail. And let me tell you, there is nothing sweeter than your wife looking at you in the face and saying, it's okay, I love you, we can do better. There's nothing better than that. Some of us are really uncomfortable having those conversations, but you just have to try it, right? It's like Chick-fil-A. Once you do it one time, it's over, right? <laughs> it's just like er day, right? It just doesn't matter. Every day you're going to Chick-fil-A. So once you do it, it'll get better. Pick him up when he falls. Now, here's the important thing. If you're to read the Gospels in the New Testament, the number one thing we see about Jesus is that he always leads with compassion. Blind people, sick people, poor people, whatever. Religious people, uh, he gets pretty mad at them sometimes. But most of the time, he leads with what? Compassion. He doesn't lead with condemnation. He doesn't lead with, I knew you were a sinner, and I just had to come from heaven to earth to see for myself. Jeez, you guys are really as bad as God said you were. I cannot believe it. You guys screwed it up so bad. <laughs> I wish you were perfect like me. That's not what he does. He walks into a mess and shows compassion. Nothing will change the heart of your husband than compassion. There is nothing better than compassion. And there can't be. There is no book that will teach this to you because Jesus teaches it to us. There is no marriage book in this world that's going to say, when your husband wrongs you, turn the other cheek and show compassion. It's not going to say that. We must lead with compassion. Why? Because we've been shown what? Compassion. Because while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. So Jesus enters your life and doesn't go, man, you are super wicked. I'm going to have to wait maybe till like a year from now because you're not ready. <laughs> there is far too much going on in that mind. I can read minds, you know, I'm God, and you're not there yet. What does he do? 
just as we are, he bids us to come to him, to follow him. So wives, you need to show compassion to your husbands and draw him in. It may not happen in a day. It may not happen in a year. But you're not responsible for that. God is. Amen? You're not responsible for that. You're responsible for praying for your husband and showing him compassion. Now, there's a lie that you believe that I want to protect you from. The lies that you believe may come from the very friends that you love. Now, this may hurt just a little bit. I do think it's true, and I want you to consider it. Be careful who you get marriage advice from, okay? Here's a good thing. Have non-Christian friends, some of the best things you can do in life. Please have non-Christian friends. Every Christian needs friends that are non-Christian. You build relationships because people are worth relationships, amen? Doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. People are people, creating the image bearer, right? Creating God. But what we ought not to do as Christian wives is complain to non-Christian wives about our husbands because let me tell you, the response that they will give you is not gospel-centered. It's not going to be pointing you to the cross. It's not going to be to tell you, I know that you're upset. Go home and love your husband. I know that he wronged you again. Go home and love your husband. Every time I do a wedding, I tell them the exact same thing. And I address everybody sitting here. So if there's a couple up here getting married, I say, everyone here... You're not just onlookers. You're not just here so you can have a free meal. Like, you're not just here because this is tradition. You are a part of their marriage, which means when the husband calls you and says, Matt, she did it again. We've been married for three days. I never said that. Some of you have. And I've never said it. It's been 14 years. She's just been amazing. So, but when you call your friend and you say she did it again, I tell that crowd, your job is to say, go home and love your wife. Go home and love your wife. And likewise, whoever is here with this bride, when she calls you and says, that guy did it again, this time 17 times in one day, what's their job? Go home and love your husband. Let me tell you, the world will give you other advice. The world will tell you it's time to leave. The world will tell you it's time to give up. There's a far better life waiting for you. The world will tell you, do not waste your time on him there's bigger fish or better fish in the sea. Isn't that the term? I think not bigger, but better. They got, they got more fish. Thank you. I was struggling there. <laughs> but that's what the world will tell you. Well, there's just another woman, isn't there? Go home and love your husband. Go home and love your wives. So wives, as you submit to your husbands, acknowledging his leadership, encouraging that leadership in those moments of darkness and despair, which you will experience because husbands are so imperfect. It's not even funny. We can't wait to get to them over three weeks, right? It's going to be fantastic. But they're going to fail you. Sometimes in really big ways, life-shattering ways, sometimes in small ways. But either way, they're sinners saved by grace, amen? They're not perfect. They're not meant to be your God. They're not meant to be your all in all. That's Jesus' spot. So when he fails you, point him towards the cross and just be careful of the lies that you hear outside of the Christian community. And Christian believers, listen, maybe everyone's here not Christian, that's okay. One thing that you need to understand about our church is that the elders or the leaders will never counsel towards divorce. Now that's a loaded statement. I know that but we never will. Any leader at this church will never counsel someone to get divorced. Legal separation, sure. Is the wife in danger? We will step in immediately, and so will the police. Gotcha, right? So we're, you know, we take very seriously those things, but let me tell you one thing you'll never hear from my mouth. It's time to leave. 
What I will say is, honor your marriage vow and love your husband. Well, we're not getting along very well. Well, Jesus says, love your enemies. Well, he moved out. He's living in the, down the street. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, not only that, he's actually mean to me and sends me hate mail. Love and pray for those who persecute you. You see how you just can't get away from it? This is the life of the Christian. We're to follow Christ in this. And why? Why? Remember, the big reason is why. Because this is what Christ has done for us. This is how the gospel has been applied to our life. Right? And that's the third point. Put the gospel on display. The way you can practically submit is to put the gospel on display. In your mind, no matter what your husband has done, you look at him as righteous and clean before God. Because if he has faith in Christ, he is. He's blameless before God. He's struggling with sin because we're not perfected yet. We haven't been resurrected. But he's blameless before God. But how guilty are we actually looking at our husbands, looking at him like a stained wretch of a sinner? So whatever you believe is the way you will act. You have to believe that your husband is cleansed, forgiven before God. That's really important. That's where it starts, okay? And then you see the best in him because Jesus sees the best in him. That's what you have to do. I know you want him to have more muscles. I get it. I know you want him to be a little shorter or a little taller. I know you probably want him to have a different job. Whatever it is, I get that. But see the best in him. Be thankful and gracious for what God has already gifted you and your husband. He's probably a hunk, so that's not an issue. Number three, still no laugh. Number three, <laughs> last thing, and then we're going to close and take communion. Throw away the record of wrongs because God remembers your sins no more. Throw away the record of wrongs you've been keeping in your head about your husband and his leadership. I'm going to give you two words that you are to never use again, right? Every marriage seminar we do, we actually did one a few weeks ago. We had a fantastic time. We'll probably do another one because we love hanging out and mainly because we play Pictionary, which is also really fun. So every time I get with a couple or a group of marriages, here's what I tell you to do. Stop using the words always and never. Those are now immediately erased from your vocabulary. You're done with it. Husbands commit to it. Wives commit to it. Those two words, I used to say um, never use the words always and never, but that doesn't make sense. So stop using the words always and never. Because when the argument comes, like probably this afternoon or tonight, because they come pretty much every day, maybe small ones, maybe big ones, what's our normal response it's not compassion. I'll give you a little trick. It's not compassion. It's condemnation. And what's the biggest load of condemnation you can dump on somebody? You always do this. Or you never, never do what you say you're going to do. Well, friends, let me tell you the way the guy interprets that, and likewise the wife, is that what you've just done it's taken the past 10 years of our marriage and remembered every single thing that I've done to you and you just poured it on me like a fresh bucket of water. You've just taken all those things you've actually never forgotten even though you told me you did and you're keeping this little mental book of wrongs in your head and you're just gonna dump it on me again. You wanna get a guy to shut up fast, <laughs> as fast as you want? Tell him always or never. He'll just walk away because no one can stand and carry that weight of condemnation. There's only one, and his name was Jesus. We're not meant to carry that. Amen? So if you eliminate those two words from your vocabulary, 
let me tell you, you will start growing closer together. Because when you're in the middle of it, we're actually going to do a week on confrontation, husbands and wives, from the pulpit on Sunday morning to talk about how we argue and to get the best result in a godly way. But let me tell you, stop using the words always and never, and you will deal with that one thing in that one moment, and then it'll be over. Now, tomorrow, the next day, you can go, okay, look, so that thing brought up some memories, and I guess I'm not over it. That's okay. Can I share with you from my heart what we experience every other week? Is there a way that we can grow out of this? Is there a way that we can mature out of this? That's how you do that. Not you always do this. Right? So let me close. Submission is not obedience. Guys, remove that from your head. She's an individual uniquely created by God to compliment you on your mission. And if you don't have a mission, that's your first problem. Your wife is not your first problem. (laughs) If you're not clear about the mission God has given you, that's where you start. You don't start with her submission. And here's a little trick. If you have to tell your wife to submit, you're probably not on mission and leading very well. If you ever have to vocalize it, you probably need some change of things in your heart first before you call your wife to obedience. We let the Spirit of God do that, right? We let the Spirit of God do that. So put the gospel on display and encourage him to lead. That's what submission is. So I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to take communion together. God, I want